You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalin. So you're out in uh, Yuma. Yeah, I'm out here. I had to do a speaking engagement yesterday and then a promotion. I pen, Someone wanted me to pen them today, so. Aw. Oh, that's that's really, always fun. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What branch of the service? Uh, Marine Corps. Very cool. I want to go deep here because you guys were CS2 sisters, so this is good stuff. Is that where you guys first met up, or did you guys know each other prior to that? Yeah, Selection. I met her. She was actually, we were on the same team in Selection. Yeah, we went through Selection together, and then we um, we came back, went through the course, and then parted ways. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't even get a chance but- to see one another afterwards then at all? No, because uh, I was in the group that went to uh, the VSO side. So we went with Special Forces and Navy SEALs. And then uh, Kat went over to the Ranger side of the house. So kind of like our deployments were, we were over at the same time, but we were two separate worlds. Yeah, so like when people talk to me about SF, like I don't have a clue. I'm like, (laughs) honestly, I don't know what any of that. Or like, and two of the podcast hosts, too bad they're... They're not on, but they're both SF, retired, so they talk about, you know, they use the jargon all the time, and I'm like, eh, I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> so. <laughs> Weren't you working with a SIF team when you um, were I, I got lucky because my partner, my partner wanted to go with the Rangers, that was her plan, so when we got in country, she found a way for us to be on a uh, commander's support team, so the ODA that we were attached to was working with the, the Afghan commandos. And so we did clearing operations most of our tour. Oh, okay, cool. Following when you came back, because I've been following you since you come back, especially with what happened. Now, you first found out about your diagnosis when you were over there or uh, when you not, came home, but it was over there. No, yeah, not the diagnosis. I found out that I had a mass maybe like three months in country. So we left, we got there in August, and by November, I found this mass. Being a female, you think of a lot of things like, oh, well, it could be birth control causing me to have fluid filled cysts. It could be anything. It could be the vaccines they gave me. So I really didn't think much of it because, you know, when you can't, the way I found it was, is we had been out on a three day op, came back in, and you know, the whole priorities of work thing. You, you clean the vehicles, you clean your weapons. Then finally, once everything's done, you get to eat and then you shower and sleep. So when I got out of the shower, you know, I kind of like rubbed like this with the towel. It was getting dried off and everything. And um, I felt this mass. And the first thing that came to mind was, honestly, we were disgusting. So I was like, it's probably, you know, some gross like boil or some nastiness. So I didn't think twice. You know, the following months, though, you start getting a little bit concerned and you can see it through the skin. Um, I could pull it and like put my fingers around it and, you know. So I was a little bit concerned. I brought it up to my teammate who was a physician's assistant. And, you know, she kind of said the same thing that I said originally. It's probably not a big deal. And we came to the conclusion that if I brought it up, obviously you can't bring things related to boobs up to men. I'm sorry, you can't because they kind of trip out. <laughs> oh, come so on now. <laughs> it's the truth. And I'll tell you why. Because the, toward the end of my deployment, I did. And it, it led to, like, this big, like, freak out. It was pretty funny. I, we decided that it wouldn't be beneficial for me to fly all the way to get medevaced out to Germany just for them to say, oh, it's something we can drain and then send you back. Or if it was something they wanted to remove, I'm stuck and I can't go back. And that means my and then it fell down to my partner would have to, you know, kind of go back to Bagram and wouldn't have a partner. And she didn't want to be stuck up there as an officer 
doing desk work. She wanted to be out there in the field working. Sure. So I kind of made the decision that I didn't want to bail on my job. I didn't want to bail on my team for something that was pretty trivial that would send me home. Plus, we had a, a, one of our guys get injured at that time, and the last thing I wanted was the team to think I was running. Because yeah. no matter what you do, if, if if that were to happen, the first it doesn't matter what I told them. The first thing that would come to mind is, oh, someone just got injured, so she got scared and found a reason to leave town. Yeah. And now, so you are you were in country at this point three months, four months. Uh, yeah. Uh, we got there August. I found it in November, and then November, December is when I started wondering kind of what it could be. And I was telling the guys, I actually uh, ran into the last team that I supported when they, they came in in January timeframe, and we had maybe three or four months left on our tour. I just ran into the team the team leader um, two nights ago at an event I was at, and he reminded me, he's like, you don't remember telling me that you were just, we were talking about training, like fit, like working out in the gym, and you were telling me how weak you were feeling, and it was really weird that you were just, always feeling so weak and run down and you thought you were getting a cold and he's like you don't remember that and I'm like no and he's like yeah he's like we, we probably should have done something at that point but you know we're, you're out there you go on these missions the weather you know I was doing school at the same time so I just kind of chalked it up to being you know exhausted you know just the normal deployment and I felt bad even saying things because the teams that have been there before have been there for almost 12 months so you don't want to walk around saying how tired you are you know to these guys who've been doing this job for 12 months sure yeah with how early like new the program was I don't know on our side because we went through all three battalions and I worked with the Delta squadron and it's like you're constantly under the microscope of not wanting them to think less of you you know it's it's a it's the it's going to be the continued game that females play, you know, yeah. especially in the soft community. So I, I completely understand you just kind of being naive and ignorant to the to the fact, you know. It kind of yeah. it's, it's just it's like one more thing you have to deal with over there, on top of the job, on top of fitting in. So I was explaining this to someone the other day because they're you know they're writing this thing and 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 I, I get this opportunity to you know sometimes tech advice and and you know and TV shows or movies, and, and I was trying to explain, there's very few females that I went through the course with that think the same way I think and understand that there's a there's a way to do things. And when I met Kat, I remember in selection saying this too. There, actually, I, I met up with the, a couple girl, a bunch of girls in Vegas that I went through selection with, and we were reminding each other things that happened in selection. And I work well with anyone, but my biggest problem, because I was, I say I was raised by men in the military, is... I was taught to look for these key things in females that will make them a liability, will make them a pain in my ass. Like you're taught at a young age when you work with men in the military what to look for in females. And, you know, going through selection the first couple of days, you're, we're sussing each other out and trying to figure out. Kat was one, Kat and one other person on the team were two females that I looked at and said, they get it. They get why we're here. They don't have to have a big memo from command and they understand that we're here to do a job and whether we're on the ranger side or we're here on the SF side, our job is to enable them. Our job is to make their job easier in whatever way that is, whether it's gathering information, searching and tactically questioning, whatever it is, that is our job because the program was so new, I didn't even want to be a part of it. My exact words, the first rotation when my sergeant met, because I worked at SWIC as an instructor for civil affairs and PSYOP, my first 
response to my command sergeant major when he sent me the email and said, I want you and your platoon sergeant to go through this. What do you think? I said, hell no. I will not be a cheerleader for the soft program. Yeah. And he's like, what? I was like, you, this program, this POI that I'm looking at, this knee-jerk reaction to um, the FET teams and the Lioness program and stuff is not you're not thinking it through you're not thinking of how you're going to integrate what you need to say to these women to make them understand what you need to say to the men and so i told him i was like i'm not going to be a cheerleader for special forces i'm not so i turned it down the first time and the second second time it came around you know they they kind of played to my leadership side they're like we need females who are instructors and who are good leaders to go through this course because it, we won't be able to fix anything if we don't have that out there. They were using the psychological operations you didn't even know it. So they started dropping leaflets, the whole bit. See, they got you all primed. They did. They did. They pulled it. They uh, they definitely they definitely figured out a way to get me out there. And the biggest issue, like Kat was saying, is that I understood the uphill battle we were about to face. The program was so new, and being at SWIC. I, I guess my biggest issue, and um, I don't know if Kat remembers this, my biggest issue going through the course was they were focusing way too much on stuff that wasn't going to help these women. The that, whole course was like that. The whole course. <laughs> the entire course was like that, yeah. To this day, I still tell, if I run into anyone from SOCOM or anyone from the schoolhouse, I tell them, if you're going to do this, you need, you're doing it wrong. The, I even brought people in that I worked with to sit in the room, SF guys, to sit at the back room, and they, they caused some trouble, but to listen to what we were being taught. I, when I, told, I told them, I was like, look, I teach civil affairs in PSYOP, from initial entry to prior service people. And these women are grown-ass women. They can research the culture themselves. These women are going to be, you know, with these men that are running and gunning, they're going to be doing on this side direct action, on this side they're going to be living in villages. They need to focus on the stuff that, that they don't get to do every single day. The you tactical know, aspect ta of war. Yeah. Weapons, and that's, small unit tactics, all this stuff. Engaging, how to interact with, with special forces or rangers. And I feel like that's what, you know, given this is, you know, at this point I had been in for almost 10 years, all of this with the medical, with all this other stuff was running through my head. And I knew what was coming. And I knew that anything we did, I think that's why I was so hard. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Half the females in our class fucking hated me. Excuse my language. But they despised me because... In the beginning, I kept my mouth shut, but after about a week and a half of listening to the bullshit they were spitting out at these women and and the stuff and the and when I would ask some of these women, why are we here? And the answer, uh, they would be talking about projects, they would be talking about cert funds and stuff. I'm like, no, you want to know what your job is? To actively engage with foreigners, the local populace, integrate with your team, and gather intel. You are there to fill a gap. A cultural gap and if you learn how to do that whether it's using your femininity whether it's using being a badass whether it's being an asshole whatever it takes to help those men get their goal reach that goal and gather information catch the bad guys support Jeroa support governance whatever it is that is it's a very small it's a very small mission that we have but it's going to pay off in the end if we do it correctly and you know I had this huge issue the whole damn course because I was listening to these women they were being told one thing, and they were they were engaging and doing what you know, saying the right things for what they were being told. Well, and they were impressionable. A lot of exactly. the women that we went through were super impressionable, and uh, the thing is, is that a lot of them didn't have prior experience, especially I think on the NCO side. You know, we were both E6s going over there, deployments, had some military experience, and then looking at the audience that they were targeting, 
to get people or these women to do this were like these young LTs that had maybe no command time. You know, they got these women in there, one, because, well, they sustained most of them because they didn't have the right athletic ability, I guess you could say, to keep them there, you know? So they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, you can run your two mile this fast. We're going to send you a special forces because you're, you have a good heart. You know, a lot of the girls that we were, went over there shouldn't have, but since the program was so new and they were coming up with all this jargon and bullshit to put in our heads for five weeks, a lot of them took that. I mean, they were, they're very impressionable. Like, Oh, we, I mean, you clearly remember the baby incident. Like that runs through my oh, head the entire time. Baby incident. I mean, it <laughs> okay, so there's this chick that was in the course, and they're constantly saying, like, one of the instructors, he was telling us, he's like, hey, you know, you're going to encounter these situations where children are going to get hurt, babies are going to get hurt, women, and you're going to find yourself in really uncomfortable situations because that's just the culture over there. And they gave us this scenario regarding, like, I don't even remember what the hell it was. Miley, if you remember, go ahead. Was, cause I... So this was a, a Delta. He was uh, he was giving a scenario of when they were – they were clearing a village and they ended up getting into a tick while they were there. And I guess what had happened is one of the females she was talking about, there was a lot of like sidebar conversations about certain things. And I had asked a friend of mine who I call my brother to come and, and they had had a conversation outside about how we were getting the fluffy side of our mission and not the real reality of it. So he wanted to use like a shock therapy. So he tells this story and he starts talking about what happened after the tick. And he said, we were walking through the village, you know, finishing up, trying to head out. And there was this woman kind of like bent over holding her baby and she had been shot and they didn't know there was a baby there. Actually, they just saw her bent over. So he went to check her. And when he folded her, kind of like leaned her back, he saw she was dead. And the bullet that had went through her, went through the baby. Oh, wow. uh, I think it grazed the shoulder, went through the baby's shoulder. Yeah. And so he got the baby, did what he could, repaired the baby. Right. And that was it. And the girl raises her hand and she said, he moves on with his lesson. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like, it's a secondary, that is a secondary thing to what this mission, like you will see issues like this and you can't let it affect you. Right. And then this, this brilliant girl, I mean, she was top notch, A plus grade A, what I can't, (laughs) I like shaking my head because I just cannot believe this, but she stands up after they just get done saying like, hey, this is not an issue. Like, this is something you have to deal with. You move on. She stands up and this dumbass says, well, what happened to the baby? And all of us, I mean, what was there? Like 60 girls in there were just like yeah. oh face palm. Like what? And they <laughs> sent her overseas. They sent this chick overseas. Wow. Please. <laughs> like this just shows how premature this program was. And especially the type of, I guess, the processing of the individuals that were going through it. I, see, and I'm, I'm very fortunate. The women that I deployed with, the girls that I went over there with, CST2, they were us all just top-notch, awesome chicks. Didn't have to deal with the stupid immaturity issues like that. I felt for you, Miley, big time on the, on the <laughs> SF side. Because it, that's what they said. They're like, hey, you know, we got like the top 20 going over regiment. And then we just kind of sprinkled everybody across the rest of the AO because they needed they needed the bodies over there oh, okay. and they wanted so to see it if it was going to be successful right and that's one of the things Miley I don't like whenever I get um, in touch with some of the SF girls and I like I get kind of uncomfortable about it because as you know with the girls that went over with the regiment on that deployment it completely changed our lives like 100 percent, completely changed our lives and with some of the girls that went on the sf side yes i'm like oh you're csc too they're like i don't even want to talk about csc i hate that shit like that was the worst time of my life and it's you know it's a completely different dynamic and a lot of it is this 
you like through the course we were dealt spoonfuls of bullshit and then we were just let alone to the wolves and like miley said the best thing that you needed to know going over there was maneuvering like knowing your weapon system how to engage with the with the population and not getting your feelings hurt about guys that i mean these guys deal with this shit every single day and, and we're not and that's the thing we're not sf and we are not rangers like you said at the beginning we are enablers and that is our job and then, and that was one of the biggest barriers that i had to you know i when we were over there was like oh these chick think they're rangers it's like no 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 we're not we know that we're enablers and i completely am aware that i am an enabler you know what i mean like i do not have a ranger squirrel i am not in the 75th i try to keep you know what happened with my team i've been trying to keep what happened with my team but you know things come out after you deploy and everything and you hear things so i said this i remember standing in front of the hotel and i said this to these girls women whatever you want to call well i'll call them girls because some of them acted like little girls I told them, they asked me about working with special forces. And I said, well, I've worked with Rangers and special forces and Navy SEALs and MARSOC before in my job. And I said, in my job, civil affairs. And we engage the populace, we build shit. But my main job, and this is what I taught my students, because civil affairs got around to this teaching, this crap about we're all the, we're rebuilding a war-torn, you know, countries who've been war-torn countries and re, uh, infrastructure and blah, blah. It's, it's not even that. It's if you simplify it, my students love this my sergeant major used to get mad at me but i'd simplify it even more I said your job i said do not spend a, a penny of my damn money in that country if you don't get something in return my sergeant major was like you can't teach i'm like no the point of me rebuilding this country me building schools and wells and shit like that if you don't think about the security aspect you're wasting money if you don't think about i said you wouldn't build a house in a bad neighborhood a gorgeous house in a bad neighborhood if you knew they were going to break in and steal everything right they said that you simplify your job down to the very basic level. I am going to, I have a job. My job is to gather information that can be turned into actionable intel. So when I was talking to these females one day outside of the hotel, I said, as simple as I can simplify this job a million times to you, and you're still going to want to listen to what they're telling you because I'm just some chick who thinks she knows everything, right? I said, but I'm going to tell you something else. You're going to meet men that you've never met before. You're going to meet men that tell you stories about things they've done or they'll do things in front of you that you've only seen in movies. You're, do not get stars in your eyes. Respect the work that they do. Respect them as human beings. Be their little sister if that's what it, that's what it is. Don't sleep with them. Don't fall in love. They all have kids. They all have ex-wives. Like if that's what it takes to keep you from doing that, don't do it. Um, so the issue that we ran into... I knew that as much as I would have liked to be, you know, I'm a gung-ho chick, like, I'm down, like, let's do this. As much as I wanted to go to the ranger side, I knew from the beginning it made zero sense for someone who is, who is trained in civil affairs and psychological operations with a medical background to go do direct action. Can I do it? Hell yeah. Would I have loved it? Absolutely. But as a mature leader, I'm an asset for VSO. It's what I do. It's what I've been doing for 10 years. And some of the women in our group were very disgruntled because they didn't get the ranger side. But as a PA or as a, as admin or as, I don't know, I could think of medics, why would I send you over there? You know, so that was the argument is like trying to get these women to understand like reality and mission critical. Like this is where we're at. This is what yeah, we're doing. You got to get, you got to get over yourself. That's what, that's mm -hmm. a lot of things. I, you know, I think they should have taught us when we were there. Cause I'll, I'll tell you the best thing that I learned there was that SOSEP, the whole mental, physical toughness, all that. I mean, that was like very beneficial stuff. And that's one of the things too, is like literally walking in to the position 
of either going to the VSO or the Ranger side is you, this is so, this is not about you. You have to live in the moment and you have to, you know, dictate what you're going to be doing out on mission, how you're handling, you know, your relationships with the platoons and uh, your friendships. Like you said, little sister status is the way to go. But you literally, like, that was one of the things I saw, especially going through the course, is that you get some selfish people in there that they forget about why we're doing what we're doing. And that yeah. this isn't a glory, this isn't a glory run. Like, we're going into the most dangerous positions in Afghanistan, and you want to get a gold star for it. And that's not what, that's not the reason that we're well, there. Can, and I can, can see, I definitely could see some of the individuals you're referring to on wanting to get their kicks, you know? I can yeah. totally see why then a lot of the CSTs got a bad rap. I mean, because you're yeah. talking about pushing people through who had no business being there. Many of them signed to the SF side, and the, most of the feedback I've gotten about CSTs on a negative, and you've heard it as well, Kat, are from special forces. And it was probably because they were people were forced upon them. They weren't squared away. They weren't maybe even physically fit, mentally fit to be in those type of roles. To- totally see it now. It's so a maturity I- thing. Yeah. It's a huge maturity thing. It's it's being, you know, this is what they're, like, you were given the opportunity to go and do this awesome mission. Take it and do what you're told. And while yeah. you're doing, and while you're in the mission, like, that's one of the things that I, I miss about the whole CST thing is there was so much to learn every day. Like, I was like a sponge. Just, like, these guys had, you know, deployed over shit a dozen times and it's like their experience their tactical experience their their home life experience i mean they had so much knowledge and just like wisdom that I, i'm like just tell me more you know a lot of times you get kind of annoying i'm just wanting because we were only there for that small amount of time and it's like teach me all i just want to learn everything that you guys have to be not only be a better do a better job and be a better asset but come back with this you know and share it and just be a better nco or officer or leader in general because that's i mean you look at the soft community you got PFCs, privates out there that know way more than a regular, you know, team leader in the regular army because they just have that life experience and that that experience on a team or in a platoon and going through all this, you know, f- yeah, for years. You know, it's incredible. So the guys, but- the guys that blew my mind were were the scouts that were with us. So the SF guys, you know, I, I I love learning from them, but the scouts that were with us, they were young. Like the youngest one I think we had was twenty one, and the things that they knew. I was just like, no, and I would pull them to the side. Yeah, I wanted to. Tra- I trained with the SF guys, but a lot of times, because the SF guys were so busy, the team guys would be- do their thing, and I would- wouldn't want to bother them, so I would pull one of the scouts and be like, hey, I want to go over this a little bit more. What do you guys do in this situation? It's not my lane, but I would like to know. And so my philosophy, the guys learned really quick. Prior to doing the program, prior to going to selection, I bugged a bunch of friends to let me go out to the Safawak range and put me through stress shoots. I was worried about carrying men. I would put, go through stress shoots, put on a kit, and try to carry one because that's the first thing they bring up. I found using – I bought those uh, those now you've seen on TV washer and dryer straps for your arms. Right. Put them on my kit. If somebody went down, I, when I got there, I found the biggest dude. And I was like, let me drag you. Let me see if this works. And it worked for me. I'll say this. I had one issue when I got in country. I did all this extra training before I, before I even went through selection, before the course. After the course, before we deployed, I would go shoot as much as I can. Because being an instructor for four years, you don't get range time. And it is a perishable skill. That was my biggest, I was most apprehensive about my shooting ability. Could I aim and shoot someone? Yes. Am I going to hit them? That was my fears. Am I going to be effective, as effective with my rifle as I am with my pistol? And so when we got there, the first thing the team sergeant was like, he's like, hey, 
we need to get you guys on the range. And I had just qualified in Bagram. Like we just did all this, but I was like, let's do it. And I, I failed miserably. And it was because I was so nervous because this, I mentally prepared myself to do VSO work. And when we got there, my team, my team leader, my, the captain on my team pushed because we both had Sears school. We both had, you know, she'd been working with JSOC. So she wanted this ranger side. And I was like, well, I'm, we're most of, we're a better asset on the VSO side. But she pulled some strings and somehow got us on this commando team. And I was so disappointed in myself on the range. And, and I sat down with the team sergeant and I'm like, no, he's like, well, I can't, I was like, I'm not going, I can't go on any missions until I qualify. And he's like, okay. And he was like, I didn't, I didn't, I thought you were going to fight with me on that. I'm like, no, I wouldn't want me to go out <laughs> on the mission if I can't fucking do this. Like, that's yeah, stupid. Right. But I mean, I went back out there that afternoon. I calmed down. I ate, I needed to eat. I ate some food, you know, relaxed a little bit, went to the gym and then went back out there and did well. The thing that I kept getting emails about with these women were drama with their teens or, or drama with each other or females thinking they were special forces or females because they were acting, the dudes liked them so much, they would jump on a convoy without telling anyone like you can't do this oh wow so i found myself being this hub for all this this drama and even even like i went back to bagram because my interpreter didn't have uh, night vision and our first mission that woman that poor woman she had been with the the marine vet so she had been in combat and she got it i gave her an asp i was like look if she goes to hell and i go down and i'm not there to protect you i want you to whip this thing out and beat the ever-living piss out of whoever come near comes near you she was like okay and i had her tuck it in her kit so no one saw it she didn't have night vision though and all of our missions were three two three in the morning we infilled off the helos and you know the commandos go out first sometimes we landed sideways on the rock because 160th pilot was trying to get his rock landing and we were sliding out the back but my interpreter held the back of my shirt every mission for the first two months and it was terrifying for me because what if I fall? What if she stumbles? What if, you know, like all these things. So I flew back to Bagram and got her convinced, you know, the lady running the program to give us night vision. And while I was there, it was simple things that were stressing, like the mission, the job itself was not stressful. I mean, it was an appropriately amount of stress, but as far as like stressing whether I'm going to live or die, like that kind of, it comes with it. Yeah. It's just there. I was stressed about things like, are the person running the program not knowing about lateral transfers, not understanding like equipment and how to get these women to sign for things and and things I shouldn't have had haven't shouldn't have had to worry about. But I got an email from one of the females talking about the Kate's brief and and one of the guy I knew the team she was with, so I emailed him and I was like, hey, how are the girls doing? Just always mom, mommy Miley, like check it. How are my girls doing? And they were honest. Like they tried to be nice first because they wanted the program to the mature men wanted the program to succeed. You know, they wanted, they have daughters and they're like, well, if my daughter ever did this, I would want someone to be supportive. Well, not just that, but it is a valuable asset, especially in in a Middle Eastern country. But no one told them how to use the women. No one told them. Like, they they were like, I don't even know, what do I do with them? Well, because they've been doing it for the last 10 years. Right. So why, I mean, what do we need me for? That's what the medic told me. He's like, where are you? I've been doing this already. I'm like, let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Let me show you what I can do. And luckily it happened out, yeah. That tab will come before anyone else. If they have a tab, they have a scroll, they come first. You are an enabler. You don't belong to them. You are not part of the crew. You might be on the, you might support the team, but you're not part of the crew. So, I mean, we ran into all types of issues. And, and the best part was during this time, I found the thing that I loved. I loved, I was, I had already found my teaching 
my leadership style. I have found my 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 instruction style, and now I was finding who Miley was and who Miley wanted to be for the rest of my career. I mean, the way that I give capes briefs, the guys thought was hilarious. We showed up to, I convinced my, my team leader to go with me to do a med cap at a VSO site. And she was like, all right, let's do this. I sat down. When we did our capes brief, the guys thought it was the, because they had already had a shit show with CSTs before and they didn't want us there. And the team sergeant pulled us to the side day one and was like, look, we've already had our issues. I'm laying the law down. Don't flirt with, don't sleep with. If they flirt with you, ignore them. Like, we don't need any drama. You're only here for a few days. Let's just make this happen. We really need the help. Let's go. So I stood in front of him, gave my cape brief, and I was like, look, I can give you guys all the schools I've been to. I can tell you I've been to SEER school, and I've been to shooting schools, and driving, defensive driving, and all this other stuff. I was like, but the real deal is here. this. I'm here to enable you. I'm here to fill a gap. You tell me where your intel gaps are, and that is my job to gather that information. That is all. I said, whatever it is, I'm here to support the team. It was like, we all pull our weight. So even though we're only here for a few days, if there's a task, if you need someone to pull guard duty, whatever it is, that's what we're here to do. It's like, all in all, you don't need my resume to know what I'm capable of. My background is civil affairs and PSYOP. That's it. I said, but my job and her job, fill intel gaps. I, the fox came up to us. He was like, shit, <laughs> we thought you guys were going to rattle off all these badass schools you've been telling. Like, no, you can look that up if you want. Like, if you want me to send it to you, I can't. So afterwards, it was as simple as sitting down. And right. Kat and I had, uh, my partner and I found a process of how to do this. And we sat down with our, um, with the fox and we were like, where's your area assessment? I asked him, I was like, I need your area assessment, your area study. And he gave it to me right away. He's like, why do you need this? I said, because I'm going to read through it educate myself with the area and the people that are moving around and then move from there. And then we sat back down to him. I said, look, what information are you missing? And he's like, okay. And so he shows me everything that he's missing. I said, okay, so we're going to build a patient intake form. And we were able to create a patient intake form that where cat was taking blood pressure, whatever we would ask them, okay, what's your name? What tribe are you from? Languages spoken in your house. What's your husband's name? How many people live in your home? And then in between there, find ways to, get more information. So, okay, why, what's wrong with you? One lady's like, oh, I'm so tired. Okay, well, why are you so tired? And you know why you're busying yourself, like finally shaking pill bottles because they like pills. They love any pills. They could be vitamin C and <laughs> right. they love it. Um, and she's like, oh, well, I have to cook all the time. She's like, well, you only have three people in your house. Why are you tired? That's not a lot. She's like, oh, my husband has people over all the time. Oh, really? Are they women, men? Oh, mostly men. Oh, they come. Do you have to cook a lot of food? Well, yeah, they eat a lot. And well, does that mean they're there for a long time? Oh, yeah, sometimes they're there for hours and hours. Well, where do they come from? Oh, outside the village. Do they bring clothes with them? They plan on staying. Oh, sometimes they bring their weapons, but that's about it. Well, how often do they come? And it went on from there to sure. the point where we were able to get a positive identification on what was happening and understand because the biggest thing was weapons coming into this area. So it was. It's the simplifying. I was able to, it kind of validated what these men have been teaching my whole life. We don't have to go out there as women. We, we are an asset. And what we do, we can do it very well and we can help in these areas. But the biggest thing is like what Kat was saying, humble yourself. Don't come out there with your female dick hanging out like, bam, I'm here to, to shake some trees and kick some ass. Or, you know what I mean? That's not what we're there for. I was not there to kick indoors. Despite what any of these females say, they, says they were not kicking indoors. You know, there were times where we did get left alone <laughs> in houses, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> because, you know, you got 30 females in the room, and the commandos were told, hey, stay with this house. Don't go inside, but stay here. 
and then walk the girls to the next area, you know, like five miles worth of village. And then you come outside and you're like, oh, my God, you know, and your first instinct is. I'll tell you what I was telling this woman, this Sabine, because she wasn't quite understand. She's writing a story as a female in the military. Basic, not even special operations. If you're a female worth the shit and you care about being a good leader and being, or not even a good, a great leader and understanding, at any given time, your mind is going through where a man's mind is going through. What's my task? Did I eat today? Am I going to get to train? And I'm simplifying. I'm sure there's more that happens in that brain. But for women, it's... (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) For women, it's, does my uniform look right? I have to make sure I understand what they're saying. Take notes. Oh my God, did I do this right? Is this going to happen? Am I going to be in? So if you go in Afghanistan, it's, is my kid on right? Did I remember to load one in the chamber? Do I have all my ammo? Remember the mission. Remember the plan. When? Where's the exfil site? Where's this? Fuck, don't get left alone because what if the commandos can grab you and take you in a house? At any point, watch doors. Don't turn your back to the doors because you could be snatched in. Stay inside of, of one of the Americans because you never know when the command, because we had um, insider threat with our commandos. So it was like, this is what's going through a female's mind. So you take that and you add the heightened sense of security, getting into a tick, not failing the CST program. And it's a miracle that half of us didn't lose our damn minds over there. But the reality of being a female, a very motivated female in a high op tempo situation is your mind is racing. Don't fail. It's not just don't fail or the mission. It's don't fail. Do this, do this, do this, plus this, plus that. It's, it's. At any given time, your mind is racing a million miles an hour trying to remember. And then in the back of your mind, it's very back of your mind. This is really cool. Okay, but it's way back there and it comes with, and I'm hungry. That's the other one is I'm hungry. But <laughs> so you, what, what was the purpose or passion that you found over there? Because you said, all right, you found yourself and you found your purpose passion. What was it? My passion became trying to, I mean, my whole goal in, in the military was to be better than I was the day before. And while I was over there, I discovered that that whole quiet professional lifestyle, I loved. I adored it. I loved being in a situation where I was surrounded by some of the most tactically and technically proficient men and women that I had ever been around. I hated the drama. When I got to a team that there was zero drama, I was in my element. I love the fact that when someone that I worked with that I respected could come to me and say, how do you think we should handle this situation with the women? Or, you know what I mean? When when your team that you're supporting trusts your judgment on something, right. that's a huge thing. And sure. for me, my passion became trying to fill this gap that had been missing and, and push myself to the next level. My I, I had planned on going back a second rotation. I had already put in all the paperwork. I wanted to actually run the CST program in country because I felt like with the right leadership, with the not saying I was the right leader, but I felt like having been through it, these women needed someone who wasn't going to bullshit them. I'm not. I'm not even. I, I used to be really try to be really polite about this, but we had women getting away with murder over there. When I asked the, our sergeant major when some girl screwed up, and she screwed up bad, like to the point where she was lying and saying a group guy was having sex with the interpreter just because she didn't like that everybody was flirting with the interpreter. Like she fought to get this sergeant major to fly to Bagram to bring on this special interpreter that she had to have and then when she got her she didn't want her and I asked him like all this stuff was happening and when I would ask the sergeant major I'm like what would you do if one of your team guys did that it's like I'd put his ass on the B team or send him home then why is it so hard to treat this this woman like a soldier and he was like because I 
don't want this program to fail because I want you guys to succeed. I was like, he's like, because of women like you and a few other women, I want it to succeed. It's like, but you're not doing us any favors. Right. Exactly. By these women around. Yeah. Because until the standard is exactly the same, those of us who do exceed the standard or match the male standard will never be able to stand alone ever. It will always be what this girl did. Well, she did this. So all of you are shit. So it was my, my goal. I had, I became so passionate about the program that I wanted to, I wanted to pull. I had a list of 10 females cat that I gave to my Sergeant major, you, Anna, Maddie, and a few other females were on. I was like, if you could give me a little bit of power to create, recreate the POI for this program and bring in the instructors that I feel would be the biggest asset. I was like, we could, we could run this shit. Like we could be operating in other countries. I said, because we're an asset, not just in the middle East. I wanted to create this program that could be utilized anywhere in the world. And we could create something, a specialized unit for females versus just throwing chicks out there. Like boom, equal opportunity. It's, it's not that easy. Equal opportunity is not, it's not, it's not about that. It's about training women to do a job and training them to be very good at their job. But you know, cancer came and then the army decided to. You fought that pretty well as well, Miley. I mean, let's face it. When you found out about it, I understood that while you were taking chemo, you still went out and ran a marathon. Is that right? I did. Um, so the whole time that I was going through treatment, the gym was, I used the gym to, before chemo, I'd go to the gym. And my and then after chemo, I would go back to the gym. My whole thought process behind that was I wanted to blame, be able to blame the gym for me feeling tired and sick, not the chemo. That's how I handled it. Because I was going through this alone in a state where I maybe knew five people with my child. And right, coming right off of deployment. And not to mention, the reason they PCS me was because 30 days after coming home from deployment, my a person who kidnapped me and sexually assaulted me was getting out of jail. So I had to leave the state because I didn't want to spend my whole life living on Fort Bragg. Oh, wow. So I was dealing with all of that. The, I got a job. My unit was being less than supportive, and the first group stepped up and offered me a position as one of the, the, like an assistant coach in their gym. And, uh, the physical therapist there was like, Hey, we went out to have dinner one night and it, the marathon came about as we went out and had dinner one night and we we're having drinks and we kind of have her push her to have another beer more than her too. And she was like, well, someone, if we drink this, someone has to run tomorrow with me. And I hate running, but for some reason, Happy Miley was like, I'll run with you. And that day, and she didn't tell me how far we were running, and we ran eight miles that day. And I was like, Jesus Christ. So you're going to run with me again on Saturday? I was like, yeah. How far are we running? She's like, 13. So it went from there, and it, she's like, well, you've already done half the marathon. You might as well do the marathon with me. So, yeah, I went out and ran the marathon. And I'm gonna, I will tell you, that's the first time I've rocked that far, but I've never run that far. And um, yeah, it wasn't the best thing. <laughs> but it, Running is terrible for your body. <laughs> it is. But it yeah. pushed me to set this goal for myself. So every since that day, I made a goal that every year I will do something I hate and something I've never done before. And usually that's physical. So the first three years, it was for some reason always running. And I don't know, like I ran like an ultra. I mean, I did a extreme thing and then I transitioned into bodybuilding and now I'm going into Olympic lifting and it, I, I have to you know that the whole special operations uh, community you know I was in it from 2007 until I got out and you know we're, that saying we're always being assessed so I live my life that way I don't know why like 
I try to stay on top of my fitness and I try to push myself to do things that keep me in that, that goal setting mindset, that overachieving mindset. Like I joke with people and tell people I, I tried to overachieve it, my cancer too. Like I was like, doctor was like, well, I was like, how long is the treatment going to take altogether? Re- <laughs> chemo, reconstruction, radiation, everything. He's like two years. I was like, we're going to get it done in a year. He's like, no, <laughs> it work that way. I was like, it's going to happen. And I tried, like I got through, I pushed like even with reconstruction, like the expansion process, it's a six month process. And I did it in four weeks. Dumbest thing ever. So dumb. It was so painful. It was the worst idea. You got to find something, you know what I mean? Just to look forward to. And I really think it's, it's, it's very therapeutic. Yeah. You know, it just kind of gets your mind right. And like, and like you said, like you went, you were given a shitty deck of cards. Like you had this plan. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of us, too, when we got back, it was like we had this plan and they all went to crap. I mean, now you, you're you doing all these awesome things. So what's the deal with you um, when you went overseas with the refugees? I saw a bunch of pictures on that. That's really cool. So um, one of my best friends here is a journalist for Fox News. And um, she the way it came about, like, you know, when I got out, I, I considered going contracting. The opportunities are there for women. It's just finding the right agency. And one day she went, she came back from a trip to Jordan and she was, you know, I was talking about the Peshmega and everything happening in Kurdistan. And she said, I want to go to Iraq. And I jokingly said, I will go with you. It was a joke. She sends me an itinerary three days later. Oh. Okay. So we go to, so we go to Iraq and I'm, I'm not even going to lie to you. The first time we went over there, I was super, I was super soldier because I didn't have a gun. All I was armed with was my camera and a knife. Oh, I didn't have a knife because we did carry on because she likes to travel very light and she didn't want to lose our luggage. So we literally brought just enough for the 10 days we're going to be there. Oh, my God. Texting and emailing some of everybody that knew all over the country. I was like, we're going to be here. When we got in the hotel, I, I got on my little bat phone. I was like, I moved us. We were staying upstairs. I moved us to the, the first. We're on the second floor, third floor. I moved us from a back room to the corner room where we're closest to the elevator and the stairs. <laughs> There's a window. We're facing northeast. <laughs> I was so I was so like on autopilot because everything that we were doing, it was so new to me not to have a weapon, not to have a full PSD with us. But yeah, we um, the first trip, you know, we went and visited a lot of camps because it was the IDP situation was fairly new at that point, and I was still on autopilot. Like she, where Holly would be this idealist, and she's her eyes would get really big. She's like, "We're so blessed not to live like this." And I was like, "They're probably gonna ask you for everything. Watch out. They want medicines. They're gonna bring out all their." And sure enough, they did everything I knew they were going to do from yeah. years of experience, but. I didn't even enjoy the trip because I was so concerned with the details that were ingrained in me to be like a two hour taxi ride from Erbil to Soleimani trip it out the whole time because we're driving right past Kukuk where there's a fight where they're fighting. And I'm like, Oh God, we're going to Jesus Christ. Every time we get stopped and we pull out our passports and they're like, why are you here? We're like, oh, yeah. What do I tell them? I don't want to tell them. Holly would bring out her Fox News thing and they were like, oh, Foxy News and we're good to go. The second time I went back, the second and third time were the most meaningful for me because I discovered that I needed to become a human again. And I wasn't really seeing these people as people that needed help and that were innocent and that were hurting. I saw them as, I mean, there was an appropriate amount of of empathy there. I guess sympathy, more sympathy would be empathy or sympathy, sympathy. But it wasn't it wasn't anything like what other people were feeling I because I was still in that soldier mindset. And the second trip, we went back and we happened to go visit the Yazidis. And, you know, sometimes the photo, the photos were getting published and I got contributing a contributor credit for the stories that she put out. Like 
30 stories in all of our trips. And um, the second time we went over there, we went to the Yazidi camps. And let me tell you, those people, if there's ever a people that will break your heart at how amazing they are, they have the biggest hearts. Like you go there, and I mean, you know this, if you ask, you ask a foreigner in the Middle East what they need, they're going to tell you they need medicine, they need food, they need houses, they need cars, they need everything. These people, we ask them, well, do you have everything you need? They're like, yes. We just want to go home. And we're like, well, well, you're still living in a tent. They're like, well, they gave, we have water, we have food. We just want to go home. And you're just like breaking your heart. That's the trip that broke me. Like I became a human that day because we were listening to the stories about how ISIS came and killed, pushed the Yazid, some up the mountains, came and killed, you know, all these people. And one, the gentleman, one gentleman was telling us how his neighbor sent, for some reason, sent his family to Turkey and they wives like why why send your family turkey oh they're going to visit family and four days later his neighbor was in there outside killing people with isis and he's crying and he's, he's talking about how he doesn't know where his daughter's at he knows that isis took his daughter his, his sister and other members of his family and he's like this is a man crying and for me i grew up super italian and when a man cries they cry like it breaks my heart like that is the one thing that will break me seeing a man cry I walked out to go take some photos of the kids that were running around because I'm a mom and that trip I started really like the kids, no matter how much animosity I had towards anyone in Afghanistan, the kids were always, I wanted them all. But yeah, uh, that trip, like that, I walked back in and all of them came out of the tent and the men were crying and these were like Saddam's, these interpreters we had with us were former Saddam regime uh, fighters, like some, some badass men. Wow. And they were they were in tears, like crying. And, and I'm just like, OK, what's going on? And I walked in there and I held my camera up to take a picture of this girl's face. She keeps trying to, like, clear her face up so I could take this shot. And like, I literally have never collapsed in like devastation before. And that day I just like, like hit the floor. And from that point on, like everything made me cry. It was so weird. It was such an emotional trip for us that when we came home, we were so exhausted from just having to deal with it. Things that the military taught me to turn off were coming back around, you know? And the only person that I'm that emotional with is my child. So yeah, you know, every trip I go, I learn something new. I learn something about myself. And the whole reason that I went over there, to be honest, was to kind of recapture the thing that was stolen from me. I had planned on staying in the military. I had a whole plan. I was going to stay in, make it to sergeant major, while I was going through getting, you know, getting to that rank, go to school in, at night to become a PA and then reclass as an officer so I could stay in an extra six years after, <laughs> after my 20. Like that was my plan. And, you know, when the military didn't love me as much as I loved it, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm super honest about it. And I used to be nice about it, but my unit treated me like shit to the point where they were telling me my cancer, uh, they were, they're going impatient with my cancer, that I was malingering. No one came to my surgeries other than uh, my mom and two other people that weren't even in my unit. Chemo, I was done alone. Like my first group, some of the guys from first group would come not in their unit. So it was it was very devastating for me to realize that the thing I loved the most didn't love me in return. It was pretty awful. Yeah. So I um I went to Iraq to recapture some of that, to feel what I felt in Afghanistan and on these deployments. And what I found out was a desire, that desire to help people. I, I want to, I want the, I want to be able to tell the reality of war from our point of view as military, but I also want, I wanted to learn and I wanted other people to realize that we can go from 
holding a gun and and protecting other countries and protecting our country, but we can also go over there and use these skills that we've been given through the military to help other people and and kind of learn to be an asset in other ways. So, you know, the trip to Iraq, it started out with one reason, you know, trying to get some of my my overachiever moto life back and it turned into oh my goodness, like these are human beings, you know, and and I'm still I still have the same mentality about certain things and I'm still a realist because I've seen I've seen the good, the bad and the ugly when it comes to dealing with foreign countries. But at the same time, I think that I forgot that they were humans. You know, I forgot that it would suck to be displaced. It would suck to be, live in a country where my child could be killed at any point. You know, it, this that life would suck. So yeah, it was a, it was an eye opening experience and, I, and I'm grateful for it. And I wasn't able to go on the last trip that Holly went on. And, and actually, because she's going back over there. I did get just get support, and we're going to be filming a documentary over there, uh, a docu series that I created, and we're going to go back over there and film that and look, take a look, a deeper look at the militant mind. What what goes through a person's mind when they serve? Why you serve in the military? What it is that fuels a person to join the military, to uh, be a civilian going and fighting in a foreign war, to volunteer as a as a in the Peace Corps or Foreign Legion or as a contractor. I just, I'm so fascinated by it because I had my opinion when I first went to Iraq and I look at it with a mature look, like, why are you coming over here to fight in someone else's war? They don't need people. They need guns. They need, you know what I mean? It's so over the past two years now, I've developed this idea and, and, you know, it's, I'm, I'm excited to get it started. And I, uh, just recently I'm signing paperwork. I, I'm going to write a book. I'm starting my book finally. Um, the thing is, is though, when you, when you're a female in our world, people want you to write about being special operations and I don't want to. And that's why it's taken me this long to get a book. Cause I, I originally got approached in 2013 and then for the past four years now, I've been getting approached several times and they all want this run gun special operations, badass sure. book. And I don't want to write that. It's not my book to write. Uh, if anything, I'd like to write an intelligent look at women in combat. That's the book I'd want to write. So the book that I'm writing uh, with the help of an amazing author, I can get the ideas on paper, but making it sound really great is hard. Like I could speak intelligently, but writing it to where it's going to sell is another thing. Sure. But absolutely. the book I want to write is is about my life. You know, I grew up as an abused child, as a preacher's kid, and, and I didn't see anything wrong with it until I had a child. And then, you know, going through a marriage in the military and a divorce and dealing with alcoholism and be, dealing with female uh, as a female, being told that you can't be a single mom on active duty. The first time you screw up, you're done. You know, like I went through that for about seven years in my career where every unit I got to, the first thing a man would say to me is, you shouldn't have this job as a, as a single mom. Just know if your child ever becomes a problem, you're done. Like for four years at SWIC, I was three years at SWIC, I was putting out 800 a month in daycare. But these are the things that made me stronger. The same thing with the kidnapping and rape. It happened, and I went into work a couple of days after it happened, a day, the day after it happened, to sign out to go on medical leave. And just looking at the fa the faces of the guys that I had worked so hard to get them to trust me, they saw me. They didn't see me as Miley, my little sister, this badass chick. They saw me as Miley the victim, and it hit me like really hard. I was like, nope, not happening. So I came into work. I said, screw medically, I'm going to work. Those are the things, all these things that happened to me, and there'll be a small little bit about being special operations, but it's going to focus on the things I was talking about, 
about what goes through our mind. You know, coming into this deployment, I had the DA tell me from my rape case that a jury in North Carolina doesn't believe that you can be raped by someone you've had sex with before. My training, my SEER school and all this stuff was going to be brought up and that I would lose. So I had to give him a plea bargain. What I heard was, is I should have been able to stop that. So I went into my deployment hypervigilant, worried about the guys. And it didn't help when the guys were trying to be helpful and like, hey, don't walk around by yourself without a gun. There's like 400 commandos over there, you know, at any given time. Just be careful. And those are the stories I want to tell so that people understand that the reason that I was able to do the things I've done, the reason I, I can get through the things I've been through is Every bad thing that happened to me made me stronger, that we persevere. And if you look at these things that have happened to you, these negative situations, and you turn them into a positive one and say, okay, had I not been in a strict abusive household, I would have never made it in the military. If the, if I had been raised by like a super religious, easygoing family, I would have never been able to pick up a gun. Um, you know, had I not been raised to be super tough, I couldn't have been a single mom, you know, like it's all these things meeting my real mom for the first time. Like that's the story I want to tell. So people understand that. I mean, Kat can tell you life experience will do more for a person, a female in the military than years of training. Don't get me wrong. Years of training can turn someone into a great fighter, but that life experience as a female is going to make us Make anyone be able to walk into a new situation, whether it's with SF or Rangers, and say, okay, I know enough about life and I've been through enough to know that I need to step back, listen to what they're saying, and then just go. Put my head down and just go. And as bad as it gets, remember that it can always get worse and that I've been through. I've been through worse. So I, I would like to tell that story that people – it's like a comprehensive look at what it takes to make it in that alpha world, you know? Yeah. So – I'm kind of excited about it. I'm I'm, I'm terrified. No, I'm absolutely terrified. You're gonna do great. Yeah, sounds You're great. Gonna do great. So, how can people follow you then to learn more about your book, the process, and of course the documentary that you're getting ready to film? Um, so I have a public page, a Facebook page. It's Miley Cardenas. Uh, it's like Facebook.com/slash/MileyYC, and then Instagram and Twitter. It's MileyYC as well. I've fallen off from from social media for a little while because it just kind of the while I was going through cancer, I spent two years living completely transparently. And I went from having zero Facebook interaction to telling my whole truth, I guess, you know, going through PTSD, the cancer, the chemo, everything. And so I, I kind of, it, it kind of got tiring. So I had to take a little bit of a step back and say, okay, recenter and, and, and realize that you don't have to give a hundred percent of yourself to everyone all the time. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting back advice. engaged in it. I enjoy helping people. I've, um, next year, Kat, you should come with us to Scotland. I'm working with an amazing organization called Allied Forces Foundation. We um, started by a British SAS soldier, and and we go all over. We bring foreign veterans over to the States. Actually, next week, we're bringing them to D.C., and then we go over to Scotland. We're going to try and do the Gold Coast. And the whole purpose behind our events is to put something physical in front of us and challenge us, but it's about doing it as a team. It was our war, you know what I mean? We're trying to remind people that we all fought this war together and it doesn't just affect Americans. So it's a really great organization. I um, I kind of try to immerse myself into telling the truth about everything now, you know, like whatever, transitioning for veterans, PTSD, the real truth behind PTSD and, and, and how we can face it. And eventually would like to 
go before the DOD and, and push them into creating better programs to help our active duty people early on in their career. But yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff. That's I like that's, to say I'm busy. <laughs> that's very busy. But it's it also sounds like that's kind of where you found your purpose and passion. Is that you really, when you were on that first trip over in Afghanistan, you found yourself. That, and that's where it's all started. It sounds like it's just kind of rolled from there. Finding more and more about yourself. What are the things that you feel more, most important about? It's great. It's the weirdest feeling ever. Yeah. Like you think you know yourself, you know, after, you know, being 27, I'm like, yeah, I know who I am. And no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> now when you're forced to look introspectively, like it can be kind of interesting anyway. The people that message me, the stories that come in my inbox, it gave me my, it was because I didn't want to go to see a psychologist. It became my therapy being able to share because I hid my cancer from a lot of people. I got so good at makeup and wigs that people didn't know I had cancer. And I did that to kind of protect myself, to maintain this, I'm still, I'm still Staff Sergeant Cardenas. I'm still this elite performer in the military. And I realized that I'm like crumbling inside. I was crumbling inside. You know, yeah. my outside looked so good. Like no one knew that I was sick, but I was slowly destroying myself living that way. So, you know, social media has become an amazing tool for all of those of us that have this platform, this opportunity to help other vets. And, and I, and I'm grateful for it, but at times it's like, it's a double-edged sword because people seem to think that it's a photo or, you know, it's a post and people seem to think that if you don't have time to talk to them, that you're, you're, you're an asshole or you don't care. So when I started getting, when I start getting messages like that, it's, I'm like, okay, you know what? It's time to take a break because, yeah, and I have totally. to make a post and say, it's perception. What you see in this photo is not, how my life is, you know, or, or people message me for money all the time. It's like, what? <laughs> so like when you have this following, I was like, followers, yeah. if followers equal dollar bills, then yes. Yeah, that would be I amazing. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. So yeah, it's, it's been an amazing tool. It's been, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm very grateful. I've been able to reconnect with so many people because of social media, but. Appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. And of course, empowering other people as well along your journey, the things that you've overcome how you've learned more about Miley yourself and what it is that you want to do to help others. It's a, it's a great story and we really appreciate you sharing that with us. And I know that a lot of the people that are listening will be inspired by it as well. Thank you so much for having me on those. It's, it's more fun to be on these things when you know someone and they can kind of like co-sign on some of the things you're talking about. Cause otherwise it's like, when people are like, no, that didn't happen. I'm like, no shit. Like that really happened. <laughs> she can tell you. <laughs> Kind of can just like get the fire started, but yeah, yeah, it's man. It sounds like you're doing some awesome things. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. You seem happy, which is good. That's the plan. Is happiness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Miley. Thank you so much again. Appreciate it, and uh, safe travels to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. It doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose, finding your way through a military or civilian career, working on your fitness, or just about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Get after it.